Welcome to Sound Purpose with Brian Thompson, pastor of Purpose Church in Firestone, Colorado. Pastor Brian is currently teaching through the New Testament book of Ephesians. Join us now as he opens this life-changing letter by Paul the Apostle to the church in Ephesus and beyond. We praise you and thank you for who you are. You're such a good father, such a merciful and generous father. And part of your mercy and your generosity, Lord, does has clearly been given to us in your word. Lord, the Bible, your word, is one of the most beautiful expressions of your kindness, your mercy, your generosity, your love for your people, for mankind. It is so kind of you not to have left us to grope our way through life. But in your mercy, you have laid it out for us in your word. And it is true. It is infallible. It stands forever in the heavens. It is, it is without fault. And we praise you, Lord God, for the wonder that it is. And pray that you would open our hearts to receive that wonder today. That you would reach deeply into each and every one of us. And let us know, Lord, that we have... We have experienced you in a special way that you have spoken to us clearly, maybe even individually, even as you speak to us as a body. Open our hearts, open our minds, open our very souls to what you have to say. Lord, we would not come with an attitude of indifference or of superiority or judgment before your word. We would only come humbly and ready to listen and pray, Holy Spirit, that you would anoint each and every word to our hearts, as only you know what each heart needs to hear. So bless it, I pray. Beyond my ability, beyond any preparation of my own or failure to do that, I pray that you would speak to your glory and honor and draw us in, change our hearts, because that's what you deserve. And that's what you've provided for us in Jesus. And we thank you in his name. Amen. Will you please take out your Bibles? We're going to spend some time in our study of Ephesians again this morning. And uh, if you happen to come out the door of your house without your Bible or even left it in your car, if you'll just raise your hand, Greg has Bibles that are available to you. Uh, you can use it or keep it as a gift. We would love for you to have a copy of God's Word and even this particular translation. If you don't have it, you're welcome to take it. We study from the New American Standard updated version. Um, one of the very finest translations of God's Word, I believe, that is available to us today. And we're in our mini-series in Ephesians called The Christian's Walk. And this is part four, and there are going to be several more parts in this because there's a lot that Paul is laying out for us. And honestly, as we come to this text this morning, um, I, at times I wonder, what are you doing preaching a verse instead of five or six or ten or a whole chapter. Um, and the issue comes down to, I believe that as we look into these texts and as God presses into us through them, uh, there's work that he wants to do in every single one of us. And sometimes that requires that we get a fuller understanding of what that verse might say, what it does say. And so it's important for us sometimes to just sort of hunker down in a verse or two. And this is one of those moments. 
it's important that we spend some time in this text because I believe it's something that we all, to one degree or another, deal with. And not just maybe even daily, but perhaps moment by moment. And so I want to talk to you this morning about Ephesians 4, verses 24 and 25 in particular. You know, when I was a boy, one of my favorite things to do was to pretend. I used to, I'd call it the let's pretend game. And so whether it was with my friend, Stephen, who lived next door, Mark down the street, or with one of my siblings, I was always saying, let's pretend. We would pretend we were Star Wars characters, we were cops, we were superheroes. I wanted to play it all the time and typically would just go up to a friend and say, let's pretend that I was older and stronger than you and you needed my help or um, perhaps let's pretend that some people were caught in a building that was on fire and we had to go in and save them. I was always wanting to pretend. I drove my brothers nuts. My brother, he would sometimes say, just stop it. I don't want to pretend. On and on it went with an endless number of ways to pretend. Pretending was a good way to let our imaginations fly, and it opened up innumerable plots and adventures. It was my favorite game. Pretending as a kid is great, right? We want our kids to pretend. In fact, I love it when, when my kids get together. Instead of watching TV or doing something else, they create a game, and they play that game all day. And one of our cousins really kind of inspires a lot of that. She's got a great Im- imagination. They pretend all day, and I, I love it. Pretending as a kid is great, but pretending as you get older, not so much, right? I wonder if as we've grown older, whether we have left the habit of pretending at all. Maybe we've come to pretend in a different way, not in play, but as an escape from reality, from the truth. Do we find ourselves living behind a mask, pretending, presenting to others, maybe even to our own selves, a false self that isn't really us at all? Today we're going to read a text that will command us, I believe, to a new level of honesty, away from pretending, an honesty that comes from being new in Jesus This honesty is the first distinctive behavior of those who are new in Christ that Paul begins to lay out in this Christian's walk. We've talked about therefore living. We've talked about um, what the Gentiles live like now, how we used to live in our former way of life. This is a distinctive behavior of those who are new in Christ. It's a part of the Christian walk. And as we get into this, this idea of honesty, not pretending, I think we should review the text we've been studying so that we can capture the context as we talk about honesty, authenticity, and pretending. Ephesians 4, 1 begins, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Is that just a command for then? No, it is a command for today. We, we could hear Paul saying this to us as believers personally. I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And on to verse 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk 
in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of their hardness of heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which, in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, neighbor, for we are members of one another. Let's get into our text today. As we look in verse 25, the first thing that we note is that the verse begins with this word, therefore. We see therefores all over the text, in the New Testament particularly. And what do we do when we see a therefore? We ask a question. What's the therefore, therefore? It's just any time you come to it, ask yourself that question. What's the therefore, therefore? Well, it refers back to something that had been said previously. The Holy Spirit has just given us instructions through Paul of how we are to live as followers of Jesus Christ. He's given us instructions for, of living for Jesus. And it means that we lay aside the old self. Casting off the old way we used to live when we were in sin and when Satan was our master. Like taking off dirty clothes and putting on new ones. That's what that word lay aside means. It's like you take strip off the old so that you can put on the new. We are to lay aside our old sinful ways. We are to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Since we've been made new in every way in Jesus Christ, our minds should operate under his ownership. From the way we think to the very things we think, our minds ought to be focused on Christ and used for Christ. We recognize that because we live in this world, in this culture, in any culture really, right? It all affects us. We have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. It's something that we have to give ourselves to day by day, moment by moment, because there are things that are impacting us, influencing us, and even trying to conform us. Paul said to the Romans, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. We have to surrender to that process of transformation. We have to surrender to that process of having our minds renewed. I don't know about you, but I get frustrated at times the things that I see happen in my mind and the way that I think, the way I respond in certain situations, the things that I think. And I'm regularly convicted, and I'm regularly going back to the Lord saying, Please, Father, for your glory, renew me in the spirit of my mind. Change the way I approach things in thought. I need you to do that. We can't renew ourselves. It's something that needs to be done in us 
to us and we surrender to the Holy Spirit in that process, that spirit of our mind, not the Holy Spirit, but the spirit of, of, of our being, ourselves. We need to give ourselves to that. And then we must put on the new self. Paul is always talking throughout his letters about putting off and putting on, putting off and putting on. And you'll remember that Jesus Christ said that if a person, if a demon is cast out of a person, it goes and it seeks arid places, and then it returns and finds everything kept, well swept, and ready to go, and it brings in seven more demons worse than itself. Why? Because it's not enough just to put off the old, you have to put on the new and come under new management. So a person who had a demon cast out of them by Jesus, if they didn't then make Jesus the Lord of their life, they were in worse shape down the road because they got everything in order and then evil returned and set up shop even more than it was before. So Paul tells us, put off this, put on this. If you're going to put off a bad habit, put on a good habit in its place. That's what he tells us over and over again. Put off a, the sin, put on righteousness in Christ and live like it. The new person you are in Christ. Because if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Christ has redeemed you, made you new. That's the life you're to put on. And we participate with the Holy Spirit in that. Amen? Okay, now I just got to let you know, you look like you lost an hour of sleep last night. I'm not sure if that, if that actually happened, but you look like, so I just need to, be, I need you to respond a little more so I know that we're, you're tracking with me, okay? I think I might have lost that hour too, I don't know. So you pray for me, I've been praying for you. So this is, this is what we come to see in Paul's letters to the church, which are letters to us. He encourages believers to see that being a follower of Jesus, a Christian, involves laying aside the old sinful way of living from our pre-Christ days and being transformed by the Spirit through the truth. And it starts itself in the mind and it works itself out in all of our behavior. And then we put on the new way of life in Christ. Once a person comes to faith in Christ, this process begins and it really never ends until we are glorified with Jesus on the day that he is glorified at the last day. Ultimately, that is when we will be fully cooked in Christ. So, we lay aside or put off old sinful ways and put on the new self with its new ways. Why? Because the new self has been created in a most remarkable, miraculous, wonderful, marvelous, there aren't enough ways to explain it kind of way. Verse 24, surely a most remarkable statement about our new life in Christ. For we put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Which blows away any thought that if you are in Christ, you are just a sinner saved by grace. You are not just a sinner. You are a child of the living God, and you have been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. When we look at ourselves as just sinners, guess what we tend to act like? Just sinners. When we focus on the sin, what do we tend to produce? More of it. But when we focus ourselves on Jesus and who we are made in Him, we live like that. 
And so you're not just a sinner. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are a sinner saved by grace through faith, and you are now created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. It's absolutely stunning, profound, and beautiful thing. And I want those words to sink deeply into your mind and heart right now. Our self has been radically changed. It's no longer the old self, but the new self in Christ. Righteousness, doing what is right with one another. It is the way that we respond to each other. Holiness, the way in which we respond to the Lord, doing what is morally pure in God's sight and therefore in accordance with the truth. Righteousness and holiness are always in accordance with the truth. They never come any other way. This is who we are now in contrast to what we once were. Therefore, in light of this magnificent truth, that's the, that's the trampoline from which Paul is going to jump to this next point. So in light of that, boom, there's the therefore points back to that miraculous reality of who we are now in Jesus. Therefore, in light of this magnificent truth, laying aside falsehood, we are to speak truth with each other. Let's deal first with the falsehood. The word in the Greek is tasudos, pseudo. We're familiar with that, right? False. Pseudonym, a false name. Uh, there's all sorts of pseudo stuff, right? It's just a, it's, it's the word in the Greek that means false. In this case, with the article ta, ta pseudos, it means literally the lie. Not just lying, but literally the lie. It's used abstractly in this case, according to Vincent. This is both the content and the intent. The content and the intent of falsehood, of lying. Paul commands we must lay, lay aside the lie, the content and the purpose of deception. Lying is hugely serious. I'm going to go out there to say that I believe it is one of the most serious sins a person can commit. Now I know, and I didn't plan on saying this, but I'll jump into it for a second anyway. I know that here all sins are equal. That's not biblical. It's not. Show me one place in the Bible where it says all sins are equal. If all sins were equal, then in the New Testament, anybody who stole would have been killed. The adulterer would have been killed. The homosexual would have been killed. Whatever it was, if they took the Lord's name, killed. We just play it whack, 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 whack. Everybody gets killed. Or everybody has to pay four times as much. But God said if you steal something, you have to pay back four times as much. But if you kill somebody, we're killing you. That's not equality. Here's the issue. All sin damns you. So whether you were a liar or you're Hitler, and all that spectrum, it damns you. It makes you worthy of hell. But let's not say all sin is equal. Because if you, you walk up to me and kick me in the shin, that's one thing. If you walk to me and shoot me in the shoulder, that's another. Would you agree? Not all sin is equal. So let's get that out of the mind. All sin will damn you, and without Jesus, every sin you will pay for for the rest of eternity. Amen? 
Jesus has covered it all. But that also doesn't mean that we then get to sin and say, well, since I don't do that, I'm not as bad a sinner. That's not our job either. That's a judgment that's beyond us. But let's not make the error of saying all sin is equal. Even our courts recognize that's not the truth, right? So, I digress. I believe that lying is hugely serious and is one of the very worst sins because it is the, one of the very first sins we ever see in history, right? The serpent comes along and lies to Eve and deceives her where God said to Adam, if you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. The devil comes along and says, you will not surely die. He lied to her, she bought it and bit it, and he followed suit. Right? Lying was what shows up at the beginning. And with all of that, the fall of sin, the curse, pain, death, it all followed that rebellion. And it was sparked by lying. Lying is of the very worst Sins because we find it at the beginning of all history. Jesus condemned the religious rulers of his day for falsehood with this condemning and damning rebuke when he said to them in John 8, 43, Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. How's that in winning and influencing people? <laughs> You're of the father the devil. I mean, that's how Jesus lived, right? Spoke the truth. In love, yes, every time, but true. There's maybe some wrath here going on too. He says of, of the devil, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. What does it say? of the devil, he is the father of lies, which means then when you speak a lie, you are speaking the language of the devil. It is most serious. In our household, it is one of the most serious things that you can do. You lie, you get one of the most significant disciplines that you can get. That switching is going to be worse than just about any other switching, unless you haul off and crack your little sister in the forehead or something. You know, doing harm to people, lying, they're commensurate with each other. They're very serious, both of them in the Thompson household. We don't put up with lying because it's the language of Satan. And it does not belong in, that, in a house that is given over to Jesus. Lying is one of the most egregious sins because in it, we speak the very language of the devil and are walking in his nature. And don't we remember from Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, when Paul says of the Ephesians and of us pre-Christ, and you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Who's he talking about there? Not a political figure, although some of us would think that might be the case. No, he's talking about Satan. That's then that's the realm in which we, pre-Christ, used to walk in. So, 
Can we say that people are just generally good and environment affects them? No. We say people are generally sinners, dead in sin, lost in trespasses, following Satan before Christ. That's what the scripture indicates. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Very serious, right? That is how we once lived and walked, in the way of Satan. All lying is of the way of Satan. There is no such thing as a little white lie. Lying is serious. It's his language. And by the way, language is very important. Lying is very serious. Jesus removes any thought that the words that come from our mouth are somehow disconnected from who we truly are. Let me say that again, because that hour of lost sleep thing. Just for a minute. Whether we're speaking it with our mouths or with our fingers or with our thumbs, Jesus removes any thought that the words that come from our mouth are somehow disconnected from the way we truly are, who we truly are. What we speak matters because it comes from the heart. Words matter. Now, I do believe there's something specific about speaking them because we're created in the image of God, and when God created, he spoke. So the power of death and life are in the power of the tongue. Right? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. But it translates somehow also to what we type. Because we're still typing what comes out of our heart. Fair? Even though nothing is actually verbalized. We read in Matthew 12, 33 through 37, Jesus says, The tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak what is good? This is what Jesus was saying to the religious leaders of the time. For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. And then he says some of the most striking disconcerting words perhaps we read in the text from our loving Savior Jesus. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Words matter greatly because they come from the heart and betray what is really going on in the heart. If we are lying, speaking the very language of the devil, what does that mean about what's going on in our heart? Lying is of the devil, and we must make every effort to eradicate it from our lives as followers of Jesus. Now, is it possible for a Christian to lie? All God's people said, Yes, not amen, because that would be inappropriate. Yes. Yes, it's possible for Christians to lie. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have said in the Holy Spirit, therefore, laying aside falsehood, because if it's already done, why say it? Right? There's some people that think once you become a Christian, you become perfect. Boom, you're cooked, you're done. You're just living life in glory until you die then most of the New Testament 
is a waste of time because he talks regularly about us not sinning. If you're perfect, once you come to Christ, then why write it? Be like, and now you're finished, you're finished, you're finished, you're finished. Good job, good job, good job. I love to see Christ in you every time I look at you. That's not what Paul says, right? So clearly, sin happens in the Christian's life, right? We know that. We have to be vigilant in eradicating the old man and the old self from all that we do and are. Because we have put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Our new nature is not one that can abide or should abide with lying or deception. Amen? Does God abide with lying and deception? No. Nor should we. We are new and ought to live in that new nature. But there are times when we sin, of course. And lying is one of these sins. So it is not that Christians can't or don't lie, but that it is of the old nature and must be put to death and will be put to death as we live more and more in Christ, in the power of the Spirit. Amen? So MacArthur puts this point well when he said, A believer can fall into lying just as he can fall into any sin. But if his life is a habitual flow of lies that proceed from a heart that seeks to deceive, he has no biblical basis for believing he is a Christian. If it can be said of your life that you are just deceptive and all that proceeds from your mouth is deception and lies, then you really have to wonder, have I been created in Christ? That's a fair thing to to wonder, right? Test yourself, examine yourself, and see, are you in the faith? It matters. He goes on to say, The person who continually lies as a regular part of his daily living shows himself to be a child of Satan, not of God. John 8, 44. Satan lies about God, Christ, life, death, heaven, hell, scripture, good, evil, and everything else. The Christian should have no part of any kind of lying. He is to be characterized by laying aside falsehood because falsehood is incompatible with his new nature and unacceptable to his new Lord. He goes on to remind us that falsehood comes in many forms. Lying includes more than simply telling direct falsehoods. It also includes exaggeration. Fishermen, hunters, beware. I am one. Adding falsehood to that which begins as true. So if you start off true and you wax wide on the the facts, that's lying. Even around the hunting camp. It's true. Some years ago, a Christian man became widely known for his powerful and moving testimony, but after several years, he stopped. When asked why, he replied with some degree of integrity. Over the years, I embellished the story so much that I no longer knew what was true and what was not. How sad. Cheating in school and on income tax returns. Oh, pastor, now you're meddling. What are you doing? Yeah, I know. It's, it's that actually cheating on your taxes is lying. It's sin. Jesus would agree. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to God what belongs to God. I get it. Now, if there's a loophole, exploit it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Follow the law. Follow the law. 
Whether it's cheating in school or income tax returns, it's all a form of lying, making foolish promises, betraying a confidence, flattery, saying things you don't really mean, and making excuses are all forms of lying. Lying, speaking what is false, and intending to deceive are serious sin. How serious in God's sight? Revelation 21, 7 through 8 makes it very clear. Jesus, who is speaking, the Alpha and the Omega, says, He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murders and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Well, that's scary, and it's in God's Word. God is very serious about the things that come out of our mouth. Lying is so very serious. So let me ask you a question. Are you a liar? Is lying a habitual aspect of your life and character? If it is, repent. It's like any other sin. Repent. Confess it. Get right with God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Those who have the sin of lying covered in the blood of Jesus are not going to be in this number. But those who live in the world of lying and can be called a liar, and that's the habitual way of their life, can't be under the control of Jesus Christ. They need to repent, confess, and get help. Get help through accountability. Get help in whatever way you need to, but lying is most serious, and it should be put off with our old man, our old way of life, now that we are new in Christ. As the Spirit tells us through Paul in verse 25, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And when he says this, he's actually quoting from Zechariah 8, 16 through 17. When the Lord tells the people through Zechariah the prophet, these are the things which you should do. Speak the truth to one another. Judge with truth and judgment for peace in your gates. Also let none of you devise evil in your heart against another, and do not love perjury, For all these are what I hate, declares the Lord. So there's an aspect of speak truth and put away falsehood that's negative. Don't lie. It's the negative, right? The positive is speak truth. Speak truth with each other. We ought to speak the truth to one another in part because God hates lying, but also because of the relationship we share with each other as children of God. We are family. Paul says, Speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We are to put off falsehood, the lie, and are to put on truthfulness, and each of us is to tell the truth with one another because we belong to each other in a family relationship. Our truthfulness is is even more important because we are members of the household of God. I want you to notice here, when he says, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another, 
it takes that neighbor word out of the context of anybody who lives near you, and it puts it into the context of the family of God. He's speaking about the church in this context. Now, should you speak truth with the neighbor across the street that doesn't know the Lord? Of course, because you're not supposed to lie, right? So that goes without saying. But he's saying specifically, on the basis of our familial relationship in Jesus, speak truth to each other. As he says in Romans 12, 5, For just as we have many members in one body, and, are all, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Each of us is a part of the body of Christ, and as such we are members of one another. In this relationship of love in Christ, there should be no falsehood, no lying, no deception. Matthew Henry says this well, he says, It is the character of God's people that they are children who will not lie, who dare not lie, who hate and abhor lying. All who have grace make conscience of speaking the truth and would not tell a deliberate lie for the greatest gain and benefit to themselves. The reason here given for veracity or truth-telling is we are members of one another. This is a beautiful statement. Truth is a debt we owe to one another. I just think that's beautiful. If I love you and you love me in Christ, truth is a debt we owe to one another. And if we love one another, we shall not deceive nor lie one to another. We belong to the same society or body which falsehood or lying tends to dissolve. And therefore we should avoid it and speak truth. Relationship is predicated upon trust. Relationship is built upon the foundation of trust. Deception and lying erodes that foundation and therefore erodes any relationship. That's just how it is. I had this conversation with one of my little guys years and years ago where I told him, I said, if you lie, you and I are not going to be friends. And he looked at me, and his eyes got very wide, and he started to cry. He said, you don't want to be my friend? And I said, no, that's not true. That's not what I said. If you lie, and you keep lying, you and I are not going to be friends, because I won't know who you are. We have to trust each other to have relationships. And if I lie to you and you lie to me, pretty soon that relationship, as with the foundation of the relationship, begins to dissolve. And what do we have? I can't trust what you're saying to me. And if I can't trust what you're speaking to me, how can I know anything about you? Does this make sense? This is so critical. Because we are in Christ are individually members of his body and therefore of the same family, we must speak truthfully with one another. All deception, all lying tends to dissolve the unity of the body and therefore the health of the body. And this is the other part of this message that I want to get into. That was pretty much just half of the message. Now let's do the other half. Kidding. Lying is a serious sin that must be put off with all other sin. But there's another reason that we need to be honest with one another. And this is critical too. 
We cannot be what God has called us to be as individuals or as a body if we are not honest with each other. We have to lay aside falsehood, the abstract, the lie, that we aren't something that we aren't, or even that we are something that we aren't, and be honest with one another. In other words, we have to stop pretending. How can we be one? How can we be unified in Jesus? How can we be healthy individually or as a body if we are not honest with each other? And I mean honest in the truest way. No, please hear me. I don't mean in that sense of unbridled, brutal honesty that lays a person out by pointing out their wrongs. I know some people that pride themselves in being brutally honest and heavy on the brutality. I'm not talking about that. That's not speaking the truth in love. And no, I don't mean the self-righteous, self-declared, so-called honest person uh, that's pharisaical in their righteousness, where a person deems themselves the judge, jury, and executioner of all who are wrong in their sight. That's not it either. Not an unhealthy honesty, but an honesty that is noted for an uncompromising refusal to pretend. No doubt, intentional lying and deception will disrupt and erode unity within the body, but so does pretending. Pretending is a deception, a lie that I am something that I'm not, or that I am not something that I really am. Pretending is dishonest in that it puts a false self forward as the truth. And the more this happens, the less a person and those around them really have a grasp on who that person really is. Pretenders lose themselves bit by bit. Even that former Christian minister had to finally say, I'm not even sure what's the true, true anymore about my story. I've, I've embellished it so far. You know, this that far down the road? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Pretenders lose themselves bit by bit to themselves and to the rest of those around them. When we refuse to be real with one another and pretend, it affects the whole body. When we pretend, the body might look healthy, but inside there is disease and illness. We are part of the same body, so what we are matters to the rest because it affects the rest. It is as the Spirit says through Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? You know what leaven is? We don't really use, talk about leaven much anymore. It's yeast. It's like you, you put it in the bread, a little bit of it, and you mash it in there, and if you give it time, it'll permeate the whole lump. That's why... Bread grows, once it's leavened, it, it bakes to the same size. You don't have a part that's three feet out here, and the other thing's just a little piece of bread right there. No, it's a loaf, the whole thing. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. 
Therefore, let us celebrate the feast not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, there's, obvious, there's another context, whole context surrounding that right there, and it's in communion for sure, too. But we are to live in sincerity and truth with one another. The word sincere comes from, it's a compound word, without wax. Sincere, without wax. In the old days, if you were going to sell a a sculpture or an idol or something, cracks were considered deficiencies. And so if you couldn't make it better, what you would do is you would heat up wax and you would pour wax into the cracks and smooth it over so that it looked like it was whole. Without wax, sincere means that you're not covering up what's not right. Insincerity and truth. This is a pickle, right? Because we would just prefer everybody thinks we're really better than we really are. But that's not honest. And it's not sincere. And it's not the way that we have been called to live. We ought to live so that we are living lovingly and sincerely before each other. Now here's the pickle. The problem is in the church, when people start getting real and honest, people start judging and hurting. And that makes it very difficult to want to be real, doesn't it? But if we are going to be who God has called us to be, we are going to have to get real and honest with each other, and we are going to have to be very good at loving one another through that honesty. Living lovingly and loving unconditionally is necessary for us to be truly who we are without great harm, right? And I don't want to see great harm to come to any of us. But we are to live without pretending so that we can truly become what Christ intends us to be. Can you say that you are living your life in sincerity and truth? You know, for the entire time that I've been a pastor here, my desire has been, and I believe that my practice has been, to be vulnerable. If I'm struggling with something, typically you know it. I've confessed up here struggles with depression, anger, control issues, yelling at my children, lust, selfishness, greed, pride. I'm not, it's not, so look at me. (laughs) No, I'm, I'm the example of what you ought not to be. I'm just saying, we have to be honest with each other if we're going to grow, if we're going to be real, if we're going to be sincere. We must. My hope and my prayer is that corporately as a body, we can become that kind of place where people can say, I am struggling with alcoholism, or I am struggling with pornography, or I have failed in this area and done this or that in appropriate ways, right? It's not like, blah, blah, blah. You don't vomit on everybody and watch the, watch the reaction. 
but in appropriate ways, sharing what's really going on with ourselves so that we can become true. This is God's desire for us in Christ Jesus, sincerity and truth, authenticity and integrity, because we are members of one another. And I'm going to wrap it up. There are two things. First of all, this quote from Warren Wiersbe. Note the reason Paul gave for telling the truth. We belong to each other in Christ. He urged us to build the body in love, Ephesians 4.16, and he urged us to build the body in truth, speaking the truth in love, 4.15. As members of one another, we affect each other, and we cannot build each other apart from truth. The first sin that was judged in the early church was the sin of lying. Ananias and Sapphira, right? God took them out on the spot. God is so serious about this sort of honesty in the body that he, he actually took two people out at the very beginning of the church, Ananias and Sapphira, for lying in the congregation. Their pretending cost them their lives. What is our pretending costing us? We are commanded to speak the truth, each one of us, with one another. Colossians 3, 9 through 10 says, Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Are we living like that? Or are we pretending? Father, thankfully, there's nothing we can hide from you. So grateful for that. You have accepted us and shown us unconditional love in Jesus Christ, and you know every single thing that we have done, are doing, and ever will do. And in Christ, that forgiveness is complete, unconditional, and eternal. And we thank you for it. But there is no question that there is a way that we can live outside of honesty that cre creates great pain and havoc and chaos in our souls, our lives, our families, our marriages, even in the church. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move in us, convict us, move us to a place of repentance and honesty with each other. We would stop pretending, be real, and be changed. And I thank you that that's what's available to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Sound Purpose, a podcast by Brian Thompson, pastor of Purpose Church in Firestone, Colorado. If you've been encouraged by this broadcast, would you consider a tax-deductible gift? You may donate or find other information about Purpose Church through our website at purpose.church. Thank you for listening, and be sure to join us next time for more life-changing teaching from Paul's letter to the Ephesians.